0: morning we're going to be in the book of Galatians again this morning in the we'll, we'll be in Galatians chapter 3 this morning let me pray Father I thank you God for the day I thank you for all that are here Lord I thank you for your word and your Holy Spirit, who gives us the ability to understand what we read and what we hear. God, and I pray that he would work in our hearts, our minds, our ears this morning, that we would understand what we see, what we hear, what you have for us, God, that we would hear this message of Christ, and that he would be exalted, that we would remember who he is, we would be reminded of what you have done on our behalf today and that um, that would bring us into the right mindset of who we are and how we're to live our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I'm going to start at verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10. I thought about trying to go through the whole chapter and as I got to study and I decided against that. For a few reasons. One, we have a lot of things going on this afternoon. We got communion, we have a meeting, we have dinner, and so I'm going to keep this a little shorter with that in mind. But the other thing is, there are, in these, in some of these verses here, we're going to go through verse 18. We could, I could spend several sermons. In just those verses, if, if I really wanted to, if I felt like God wanted me to. There's a lot there. And there's a lot in this that you're going to hear today that's very personal to me because it's some of what God used in my salvation. And so it's, it is really awesome to go back through it and remember those times, remember when I first, when, when God's first opening my eyes through some of these scriptures that we're going to hear today. So it's exciting to me. I hope that it is a blessing to you. In verse 10, it says, and I'll be in the New King James this morning. It says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. For as many as are of the works of the law. And there's a key thing to understand here. It says, as, notice, it says, of the works of the law. It doesn't say as many as were under the law. That would have been all of Judea. That would have been all of Israel that were under the law. The law was given to them. That was a good thing. The fact that they were under the law was not a bad thing. That was where God had put them. But what he's saying here is, under the works of the law it wasn't it's not the keeping of the law that put them under the curse if they were able to keep it they wouldn't be under the curse but it was the fact that they cannot keep it that puts them under the curse so when he says of the works of the law as many are as of the works of the law what he's what he's meaning there is that you are depending on the works of the law for righteousness. So read it again. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. So as many as are depending on, as many that are looking to that, and, and like if you were here this morning for equipping hour, we heard a lot about self-righteousness, and that's exactly what this is talking about. See, when we look at the book of Galatians, so many times we want to say, okay, it's those legalistic churches that need to hear the book of Galatians. And that's what I was. I was raised in a way where I was thinking I was earning my own righteousness. But the problem is, it's not just the churches that we deem legalistic that need to hear this. It is the churches that we would classically say are faith believing, saved-by-faith-believing people, but yet when you get into it, and that's what Paul was talking about this morning, when you get into the practicality of what they believe... They don't truly believe in saved by grace alone. You start quizzing that, you start asking them, and it's, but I have to believe, but I have to do this, but I have to do this. And so they add to the work of Christ, and that's what he's saying. If you're depending on the works of the law, now he's talking to Jews here, the law of Moses, then you're under the curse. Why? You can't keep it. All right, let's go on. He says, if you can, if you do not, if you do not continue to do all things which are written in the book of the law. James says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of it all. And that's why one of the questions Paul was talking about this morning, if you, if you tell one little lie or if you have one little sin, will that keep you out of heaven? No. No, what's one little white lie gonna hurt? What's one little, you know, disobeying your parents going to hurt? What are those? Let me remind you it was not murder that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. They ate a piece of fruit. That's what get, got them kicked out of the garden. Why? Because they disobeyed God. One little sin, one little white lie, one little point violating the law. You're guilty of the whole thing. Now, here's the, the reality of this. There's nobody that's only violated in one point. You start really examining it. And that's why when we do evangelism, I recommend using the Ten Commandments a lot. Use the law. You ask people, how many lies have you told? <sighs> Too many to count. That's almost always the answer. I don't know. Too many to count. Everybody is guilty of violating the law. John Gill says this, he says, the law requires doing. It is not content with mere theory without practice. And this is one of the major problems you'll hear over and over when you talk to our legalistic friends. Um, When you point out somebody's failure to keep the commandments, and there's different people that believe different commandments that you have to keep in order to be saved, in order to go to heaven, all that stuff. But you start pointing out, well, wait, so have you kept all the commandments? Well, well, no. Well, what makes you different than everybody else then? If you're saying you have to keep the commandments to go to heaven, what makes you different than everybody else if you can't keep them? Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to. My heart is right. I, my intentions are good. And somehow that justifies them. And I've heard it. I've heard that over and over again. But the problem is that falls flat. The, requ- the law requires doing, not intending to do it. So it has to be kept per- perfectly. So short long story short on this, if you're trusting in anything you do, for your justification. Anything. That includes if you're trusting in not just what the legalistic people would say, but you're trusting in your own acceptance of Jesus Christ. I had a conversation a few about a month ago or so with a guy, and that was his deal. Well, yeah, but you have to accept him. So it's your acceptance that saved you. Yes. You're under the curse. Your works are inefficient. We're going to see more in just a minute why. Verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law and the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Justified, made right with God before God's eyes. It's a it's a courtroom term. It's a du- judicial term. Justified means you are made right. Whatever it is that you have done wrong is now made Right. But no one is justified by the law. And he says it's evident. Why is that evident? Because the law cannot justify anyone. All the law can do is set boundaries. Consider a speed limit. For example, if you break the speed limit, can that speed limit get you out of that? No, the speed limit, all it does is point to you and says you're guilty. It can't justify you. you. You can't justify that. It can't be done. The law cannot do it. Somebody has to pay the fine, right? If the policeman pulls, out, pulls you over, you're going to get a ticket. You're going to have to pay that fine. Why? Because the, the law cannot justify. And then it says it, it can only condemn. That's what it does. If you violate it, it condemns. And it says, the just shall live by faith. That's he that is righteous. Not by his own works. Because we cannot be righteous by our own works. We are born into sin. We've all committed sin. We're in this situation, in this curse. We're under this curse. That we cannot be righteous on our own accord. So... It's by the obedience of Christ shall not live upon faith, but it is but it's on Christ and his righteousness. So the just shall live by faith in Christ, in his righteousness, in what he did. That's the only way that we can have righteousness because he's the only one that's ever been righteous. Look at verse 12. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. The law is not of faith. It doesn't require faith. It doesn't require belief. What's it require? Action. It requires obedience. The law says, do this. And if you do it perfectly, you will live. The problem is, you can't. You don't have the ability. Nobody has ever had the ability apart from Christ. So the law is not of faith. And then we get to kind of verses 13 and 14. We get into a little bit more of the explanation, I think, in this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So everyone who ever stood before God, ever stood on this earth. failed at any point in the law stood accursed that is everybody we've all failed at a point in the law which if you failed at a point you're guilty of the whole thing you stand accursed. period there and the problem is once you violate the law there is no amount of good deeds no amount of good thoughts no amount of good intentions can ever change the violation of what's already happened we use the example, if you go into a court of law and you've broken the law, you can take any kind of horrible crime that you want to, and you got away with it and they find you ten years later, and you felt so guilty about it, you've done all, you've done nothing but good deeds ever since then. You stand before the judge and he says, no, you're guilty, you're going to prison. But judge, since then I've, I've fed the poor. Look, I've built an orphanage. I've, and I've done all of these things, it does not matter you're guilty of murder or you're guilty of whatever it was that you've done. The crime has to pay, be paid for. No amount of good overturns what you've already done. That's justice. That's logical justice. And that's what we're seeing here. We all stood in that curse. And there was no way out except one. And that was Christ. And he became a curse on our behalf. He's actually quoting Deuteronomy twenty-one, twenty-three, And when you read that, it specifically says, He who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. We stood accursed of God. And when Christ was put on that cross... He stood accursed of God, by God. And that was the plan before time. And we see it, if you'll turn to Numbers, chapter 21. We see it, God's plan being demonstrated in pictures and, and and shadows and pictures throughout the old testament. And this is one of them in, in chapter twenty one and verse four. He says Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. And therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. This is a strange story in the Old Testament, if you just kind of read through it. You got the children of Israel who... ...are so much incredibly like me, it's it's amazing. I can really look at them and say, you people are so foolish, and then I do the same thing. I mean, here we here we are, they've been led out of Egypt, they witnessed the parting of the Red Sea and walked across on dry ground. They're getting manna, this bread, coming from heaven in order to sustain them, and they're out there and they're going to complain... And they start murmuring against God, and they start murmuring against Moses, and God corrects them. He chastises them. He sends judgment into the camp in the form of poisonous snakes that are a death sentence. When you get bit, you're going to die. And they start crying out to God. They cry out to Moses, hey, cry out to God for us. Help us here. Okay, we repent. And he says to Moses, build this bronze serpent. Put this thing on a stick and raise it up. And I, I remember reading that thinking, that, what is this about? Well, this goes back to Galatians. In, when Christ became a curse for us, this was a picture. What Moses saw, what Moses did in the wilderness was a picture of Christ to come. What do you have? You have the serpent. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the fall. Who was the one who deceived Adam and Eve? It was the serpent. It was Satan, but he was in the form of a snake. Right? He comes along and God curses Satan and the serpent. And he says, you'll crawl on your belly from these days on. And so we have a picture of the curse in the serpent. And God says, you're going to put this... State this serpent on a pole on a and was watching those those videos I've been watching actually show this scene and they use a cross they actually put the serpent on a cross and I have no doubt um, that that was possible that that's what they did but then they raised it up and the people had to trust what God said and look at the snake in order to be saved now turn over to John. Chapter three, this is this is Jesus talking to Nicodemus at night and he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. So here we see the comparison of Christ Here we see what happened. The serpent was a picture of Christ because it was the curse on a stick in order to save Israel. What we see with Christ when he was raised up, cursed is everyone who is put on a tree. We see Christ bear the curse of the world on that cross. And just as the serpent had to be raised up in the wilderness with Moses, Christ had to be raised up on that cross. And now, what is it that saves us? It's God. Who saved them? Was it the serpent? Was it the bronze serpent? No, it was Christ who saved them then, and it is Christ who saves now. That's it. He became a curse. That's what it's talking about in Galatians when he says, He redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse for us. In verse 14, it says, Now that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith the promise of the spirit through faith so what we see here is the opposite of what we saw in verse 10 if you back up to to verse 10 for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse here we see the blessing Verse 10 explains how the curse is and how we're under it. And verse 14 explains the blessing. And verse 13 ties the two together. In Christ, as he became the curse for us, he purchased the blessing. He purchased it by becoming the curse on our behalf. When he took the curse on himself, he raises the curse off of those who would believe in him. And then the interesting thing also there in verse 13, or in verse 14, is what was the blessing? Read it again. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. By Christ Paying the price, by Christ becoming the curse, by Christ bearing the curse of the world. The blessing that we receive is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to become new. It enables us, he enables us to be born again, to see new light. Our eyes are opened, our heart is softened. And then verse 15 He says, brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. The SV here says to give a human example. What he's saying is that even in a man-made covenant, even in a covenant made between men, it's confirmed. it, It can't once it is confirmed, it can't be changed. Even with just earthly covenants, earthly contracts, once it's confirmed, you can't change it. That's what he's saying. But even so, how much more so is a heavenly contract? Look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and and to your seed, Who is Christ? Verse 17. And this I say that the law, which was four hundred and thirty years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. The promises, the blessings, the justification Salvation, eternal life, is only through Christ. Verse 17 is the key. Or actually, verse 16, where it says, wait a minute, lost my place. Verse 16 is the key, as of one which is Christ. It's not as of many. Turn to Genesis chapter 15. And this is the part, and, and Paul went through this only a few, I don't know, a few months ago maybe. But this portion of Scripture here in Genesis 15 did more for me in understanding why Jesus had to die maybe than anything else. And that seems odd that it's in Genesis, but it, bear with me here. I'm going, to read from, I'm going to read from the first verse. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, remember, we're seeing this in Galatians. It's not seeds as of many, but as of one. But he's pointing here and he's saying you're going to have so many descendants. Basically, you're not going to be able to count them. And verse six, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him. For righteousness. Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. Not what he did, not his obedience, his faith in the Lord. And then look at this next part. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So Abraham's wanting a sign. He's wanting a covenant. He's wanting a contract, guaranteeing this. This was something that was common in the in the um, land of the Chaldeans and the people of the Chaldeans. What is about to happen here? They were familiar with. Okay, so the Lord says to him, "This." He says, "Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon." That's a lot of animals. You can read through that and it's just like, okay, um, it, you start thinking about this, a three-year-old heifer, just picture bringing them in here. That's, you know, 1,200-pound animal, maybe then a 1,000. It's a big animal. And then a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, so there's two couple hundred-pound animals, Right? And then a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these things to him and he cut them in two. So we can read through this and we can miss the picture. But I don't want you to miss the picture today. So I'm going to give you a little bit of graphic description of what's going on. He killed them, he slaughtered them right there where God said, Bring them in. You're going to take a three year old heifer, a full size cow is what that is. She's just not bred. That's why she's a heifer, but she's full grown and you're going to cut her throat. That's how they did it. They would cut the throat and let them bleed out. This is bloody. And there's a reason that it's bloody. There's a purpose of it being bloody. And he did the same thing with the ram. He did the same thing with the female goat. Lots of blood, and he's going to split them in two. So he's going to, there's a slaughter process. He cuts their throat, he guts them, he cuts them in two, and then what he does, and does the same thing with the pigeon and the turtle dove, in verse 10, he brought them all to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the bird. So he has these heifers, and what they would do is they would make this kind of an aisle of body parts of slaughtered animals. So you have half a heifer on this side, half a heifer, half a female goat, half a female goat, half the ram, half the ram. And then you got a turtle dove and a, and a pigeon on the other side. So you've made this bloody aisle of animal parts. Sacrifice slaughtered animals is what's been laid out there. And then so the what the manner of the Chaldeans was they would do this and then two people would walk down this aisle together and the 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 mental image that was happening was if either if either one of these people violates this contract you're going to wind up like these animals the punishment for violating this contract is death all right so Abraham knew what was going on he sacrifices this thing, and then he's sitting, and he's waiting on God. They're going to come down, and they're going to sign this contract together. And the vultures came. So it it was sitting there for a while. Vultures come in. They're flying. He's scaring them off. In verse 12, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and a great darkness fell upon him. In verse 13, then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. So God is prophesying more things to him, telling him about the capture that's going to be in Egypt, telling him that he's going to live to be a good... Old age, you're going to have a good life. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces God passed through them alone. Abraham did not walk through the aisle. Abraham did not walk through the covenant. The covenant was signed, and I, I believe that's a representation of Christ and the Holy Spirit walking through these pieces And he passed through them alone. Hebrews 6.13 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Why? Because Abraham could not keep it. Abraham could not keep the covenant. Matter of fact, we will see Abraham fall. And Abraham's people fall. All the descendants, the stars of the sky, the sands of the, the... beach, all of them failed to keep the covenant. So what would have happened had Abraham walked through that with God? Abraham would have had to been the one slaughtered, and it would have done no good for us. That's the reason it is the single seed of Abraham is the only one that matters. Not seeds as of a many, not all of them, but the one seed, Christ. The reason Abraham's physical descendants, other than Jesus, cannot receive the blessing apart from Christ is because Abraham could not receive the blessing apart from Christ. Abraham stood accursed just like we stood accursed. This was God's plan from the beginning. It was a promise given to Abraham and it was confirmed by God in Christ. And then he says the law, the law comes along 430 years later. That doesn't change anything. That doesn't change the promise. And we're going to hear next time. We're going to hear the next time I preach what the purpose of the law is. It's there to point out our sin. It's there to show us the need for Christ. It's there to show us the need for that single seed. It can't save anyone. And if the law that was given by God on the Mount Sinai, directly written on stone by God, if that can't save you, you can't make your own that will. The man-made laws of our day. You hear it, you hear it, you'll you'll say, "Yeah, we're saved." By faith alone, but, and that's where you, you got to be careful with that but, because it may be putting you back under the curse. There is no but, you're saved by Christ alone or you're not saved. And this is why Jesus had to die. This is why he first had to live the perfect life because he was the only one who could, and this is why Jesus had to die. Why? Because he's the one that signed the covenant. And if you can't see that Jesus is God in this, well, just look back. Look back there. Um, back over in Galatians, if you can't see that Jesus is God. In those two stories combined, when he became a curse and you go back and you see, well, who signed the covenant? Who was who was Abraham talking to back in Genesis? He was talking to God. Right. Well, who signed the covenant? It was Christ. It was a Christophany. He walks through the aisles. So why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't it be a son of God? As some will say, I believe He's the Son of God, but I don't believe He is God. Because the Son, if He's not God, didn't sign the contract. It was Christ who signed the contract. It's important that we get this right. That's why it had to be Jesus. That's why it had to be perfect. Because we can't fulfill it. Abraham violated the the covenant. We violated the covenant. But only Christ could make the payment. He became a curse. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become his righteousness. And there's some that will try to add to this. And we all, I think, in the times in our mind will try to add our own righteousness to this. And that's where we want to be careful. That's where we want to warn today with good, clear-thinking Christians Brothers and sisters who have good theology, who understand that Jesus is God, who understands that we're saved by faith alone. And you can quote all the five solos, but yet in my heart, and I would suspect in your heart at times, we want to add to it. We want to look at ourselves and say, I'm doing pretty good. God is pleased with me, and he is. He is pleased with every one of us who are in Christ. But it's not because of you. It's because of him. It's because he signed the contract and fulfilled the punishment of the contract. And we'll try to say, but you have to do this and you have to do that. And hopefully you can see now how absurd that really is. Read. I want to read this again. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. That's who we need to be looking to. That's it. You want to know how to live your life? Look to Christ. You want to know how to deal with Um, certain people look to Christ you want to know how to get sin out of your life he is the one and remember the gift that he paid for by becoming a curse was the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and lives in us and gives us the ability to overcome sin gives us the ability to overcome fear and gives us the ability to go and share this message with the lost and dying world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. I do thank you, God, for um, for this passage of Scripture and what it means to me and what it has meant to me in, in the past, God, because you have opened that up to me. I pray, Lord, that if there's any here... Who are struggling um, Any here who who have a tendency Or have Been in a struggle of looking To themselves selves for any type of Justification God that you would cause them To repent I pray that we would better understand your grace This morning um, and even as We take communion Lord that this would remind Us once again of Of the Gospel of the death of, That you That you gave your son and God, that we would be reminded of that this morning, Lord. I pray if there's any here who have not bowed a knee to you, that you would cause them, that you would grant them repentance today, Lord. I pray also for our fellowship and our time together that we would glorify you in that. And and I thank you, Lord, for the very fact that we have that freedom to come together and discuss spiritual things because of that curse that you became on our behalf. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.